It is always good to come to Christ Church. Um, this place has a very special, dear spot in my heart. I, I just truly love this place. I love coming here. I love being here. Um, it is always a joy to just show up here uh, for whatever reason, <laughs> to preach, to just be here. Uh, it's always a joy to come to Christ, Christ Church. Uh, part of the reason why I love coming to Christ Church is because of this man, your pastor. And he did not pay me to say the following thing I'm about to say, okay? I truly love Josh. And the reason why I do, because I believe he is a tall dude. <laughs> and I'll tell you what that means. He is talented, he's admirable, he's a leader, and he loves the Lord. Um, and that's what has always developed that sense of friendship that we've always had since we met all of these years ago in 2018, is that sense of his ability to lead uh, his love for the Lord, and his passion for God's church. And so I'm just excited to be here, Josh, and to share with your congregation. Uh, and you guys, it is so good to see all of you here. I've had a chance to meet some of you earlier, uh, and it's so good to see your faces all over again. Let me just give you a quick update on what's going on in my life. My, my wife is teaching fourth grade. Uh, she has 31 students in her class, so she's really busy. Uh, my daughter is in uh, third grade, and doing quite well. And we actually had a new addition to our family, a puppy. Um, and uh, his name is Aloha, and he loves the Word of God. <laughs> that is why you will not find Genesis chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 6 in my Bible. Because <laughs> he ate it. It is truly a joy to be here. And I got to say this, guys. You know, a friend is someone who shows up when you're up and when you're down. And that's what Josh has been to me. And hopefully that's what I've been to you as well. Uh, in the highs, he's been there. In the lows, he's been there. We've walked through life together. And um, I'm truly grateful. Truly grateful. So we're going to dive into God's Word this morning. Uh, and before we do that, I want to tell you... Um, or oh, I want to ask you a question that I hope will sort of form the outlines to where we go this morning in the Word of God. What do you think is the greatest life pursuit? What is the greatest life pursuit? If you ask many people in Silicon Valley where I now live, the answer would not be God. The answer would be other things. But I want to pose the question to you nonetheless. What is your most defining pursuit in life? What most consumes you in your life? If you would ask Moses, Moses is going to say, the glory of God. He's going to say more than anything else, I will pursue the glory of God. And so I want to invite you with me behind the curtain of Scripture in Exodus chapter 33, and delve into this heartfelt plea that we hear from Moses when he cries out, show me your glory, God, because I believe that the glory of God changes everything. A little boy was overheard praying in his room. He says, Lord, if you can't make me a better boy, don't worry about it. I'm having a really good time as I am. Many of us are like that. We don't want to change. We want to stay the way we are. We feel comfortable in our old lives. But the glory of God is going to shake us up. The glory of God is going to make us uncomfortable. 
The glory of God is going to redefine who we think we are and why we're here in this world. Alexander Pope, the poet, once wrote that the conscious water saw its master and blushed. As he was describing Jesus turning water into wine, he writes, the conscious water saw its master and blushed. And Christ Church today, what I pray more than anything else is that today we would see our master and blush. That our awareness of our great need for God would become so clear that we would see God's glory like Moses wanted to. Because in the world that we live in today, we hear about the word glory all the time. It's one of those words that gets tossed out out there by the church. We throw out the word out there, glory, and it's just left out there without definition. And so I want to explain to you this morning what glory is and how we can grasp this glory. In the world around us, we have three main ways of thinking about glory. In sports, for example, if a team was down and they came back to win a victory, we say that's a glorious victory. If you are in the Caribbean and you look up into the midnight sky and you see the glory of the skies and you say, this is a glorious night. Or in business, if you have made a lot of achievements in your business, you say that's a glorious success. And still there's that sense of, that's not all there is to glory, is there? It's a little tease of what glory might be, but it's not really glory. The, the Hebrew word is kavod, and the word means weight, weightiness, heaviness, presence, power, goodness of God. Let me tell you a story that I believe would probably illustrate for you a little bit of what I think of when I think of glory. Some years ago, I was golfing with an old friend here in the cities, down in an exclusive golf club down in Los Angeles, and we were on the 17th green. And suddenly, the PA system announced that we had to stay still. And we didn't know what was going on at the time, so we were just standing there. And then all of a sudden, we heard this really loud helicopters reverberating over that golf course and going to a landing pad just down from the golf course. It turns out, the President of the United States had arrived. And there was that sense of built-up expectation, that sense of excitement. The guy that I was golfing with was not a fan of that president. In fact, earlier in that day, he said to me, this guy should be impeached by any means possible. And as soon as the helicopter landed and the president came out of the helicopter, he left his golf clubs and ran down there to see the president. <laughs> when the president shows up, there is a weight and a glory that comes with him. And I want to tell you this morning there's something greater than any presidential arrival here this morning. Because the person that we're talking about today is the Son of God. He's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. He's the way and the truth and the life. He's the almighty God. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the lion from the tribe of Judah. He's the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the earth. He's the rock of ages. He's the image of the invisible God. And he's the one who was and is 
and is to come, the Almighty. That's the one we're going to hear about today in our text that Josh has already read to us. So let us dive into God's word now. And let us try to see what is it that we want to learn about the glory of God that can so radically redefine our lives. The first thing we're going to see this morning is that the glory of God is his goodness and gravitas. The glory of God is his goodness and gravitas. Moses had been leading this people and he calls them a stiff-necked people. That's Old Testament for crazy. These were crazy people. God had led them through marvelous signs and wonders. And yet Moses had just went up to Mount Sinai to receive the commandments from God. And guess what they did? In that time that Moses was away, they built for themselves a golden altar. They could not wait for God. They had to have their idol. And so God has been leading these people through Egypt. He led them through the great Red Sea. He provided bread for them from heaven in chapter 16. He gave them water from the rock in chapter 17. He gave them his commandments in chapter 20 through verse 31 and all the way back to chapter 31. He gave them all of his blessings and all of his promises. And still, still, they refused. And so now we come to chapter 33 and Moses is told, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom I have, who've brought with you to that land of Egypt, to the land that I have promised you. And then God says to Moses, and by the way, I'm not going to go with you because I just might destroy you along the way because you're stiff-necked people. And this is where Moses begins to pray and to plead before God to intercede on the behalf of these people that he might spare their lives. And so then he says, God, what you're asking me to do in leading these people is an impossible job. God, the work that you're calling me to do with these people is impossible. And then he's going to make his request. But before he dives into this, I want to share this with you, that this is the prayer of every pastor. And Moses was a pastor over God's people. He was pastoring the sheep of God, shepherding the sheep of God. And Moses knew the difficulty of leading God's people. Some years ago, I heard the story of a young boy who was asleep on a Sunday morning. And his mom came to the room and said to him, son, it's time to go to church. And he said, I'm not going to church today. His mom said to him, why aren't you going to church today? Well, he said, they don't like me and I don't like them. And then his mom said, well, son, you got to go to church because number one, it's Sunday. And number two, you're the pastor. So now you understand Moses' predicament. He's leading a stiff-necked people, and the Bible calls us sheep. And we know something about sheep, y'all. We're crazy. Sheep is crazy. And so Moses is leading these people, and so Moses needs more than just what God had already revealed to him. Moses needs a special revelation from God. Moses needs to have an encounter with God that's going to transform everything he's about to do. Moses needs more than just that burning bush experience. He needs more of God than he has ever had before. And so Moses is going to cry out, God, show me your glory. 
Because it's only in the glory of God am I going to be able to lead these people. It is only in the glory of God that I'm going to have the vision to lead. It is only in the glory of God that I'm going to have the capacity to love them, to walk with them, and to lead them to the promised land. It was God's promise to Israel that he was going to lead them all the way to the promised land. He made that promise all the way back in Genesis, that God would give them this land. And so now on the cross of moving into that promised land, Moses stands at that verge and he prays and he seeks God's face and he realizes that he needs more of God to make this a reality. And I want to stop right here to say to you something very, very important. It's going to take the glory of God to take you from where you are to where God is leading you. Because in our natural selves, we cannot do the great work to which God has called us. Moses had witnessed the great signs in Egypt. He had stood before the burning bush. But Moses wants more. He wants more of God than he's ever had before. Moses wants the glory of God. He wants that picture of God where he is in deep fellowship, where he is in the very presence of God, where he understands that complete reality and revealing and unveiling of God's power and of God's goodness and of God's love. Moses wants all of God. He wants a close-up of God. Is that your desire this morning? To have that close-up with God. How many of you guys have been faced with a situation that demands a God-sized response? Well, then you understand what Moses is asking here. Because what Moses is saying, God, I will not go if you're not leading us, God. He says, until your presence goes with us, God, do not lead us out of here. For how will it be known that we are your people? How can it be distinguished that we are the people of God if your presence does not go with us? And friends, I want to tell you this morning, Christ Church, it is the glory of God going with you that's going to make your life meaningful. It is the glory of God going with you that's going to make your marriage work. It is the glory of God going with you that's going to make your witnessing convincing. It is going to be the glory of God with you, taking you to work and leading people to Christ. It is the glory of God that makes all of this possible. Not your creativity, not your power, not your ingenuity. It is the glory of God that will fix that is, which is broken in our world today. Only the glory of God can do that. And so Moses says, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory, God. I can't do life without you. I want you first. That's what he's saying. I want you first, God. I want you above every other desire. I want you, God. And I don't want to just hear about you. I just want the, just the theology of you, God. I want to have an intimate knowledge, an intimate experience with who you are and what you are. And I pray this morning that that's your desire. That you have this desire for God that's going to transcend every other desire in your life. Let me ask you guys, if you are here, I want you to remember when you met your wife. How many of you guys are married here? Raise your hand. All right, lots, lots of married guys. Awesome. Do you remember when you met your wife? When you proposed to her? What if you had said to her, sweetheart, I love you, 
but you will always be my number two. <laughs> Do you think she would have said yes to a proposal for marriage? No. Because no woman wants to be number two. She deserves to be number one. And I asked the question this morning, why is it that in so many of our lives, God is not the first thing that we love, that we love all of these other things above God. And Moses is saying this morning, I want the glory of God. I want to love God more than anything else in my life. I want to see the glory of God. I want to have a picture of God's intimacy and his goodness and his greatness and his power. And I want to live in that reality all the days of my life. Christ Church, may you think so highly of God to invite him into all of your daily rhythms, to seek his glory above everything else. And this comes with difficulty because as Richard Foster writes, that glory is the cheerful revolt against self and pride. Glory is the cheerful revolt against self and pride. We cannot actually follow God and seek the glory of God and also remain in our pride as we do so. Where glory comes, pride has to go and self has to go. And so in verse 17, as Moses pleads before God and behalf of his people, God says to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Now some commentators in describing this verse believe that what Moses is really saying is this, if your face does not go with us, do not lead us out of here. If your face does not go with us. The face is that embodiment of all that is ideal about our, of the, our personality and who we are. When you look at somebody's face, you see who they are, where they are, what kind of day they're having. You can see a picture of their life. And Moses is saying, God, I want your face to go with me. I want your very presence to go with me. And here's the kicker. He says, how will we know that we are your people unless your face goes with us? How can my life make sense without you, God? How can my life make sense without you? And so the glory of God is God's gravitas, his face, his presence, his goodness, his power going with us into life. How many of you guys want that this morning as you start a new year? The second thing we see, however, in the text is that the glory of God is an incommensurable good. So in verse 18, we've already intimated what Moses' cry is. And here again, he says, show me your glory. And when Moses says, show me your glory, what he's really saying is, God, you are worth every risk that I take in the pursuit of who you are. He says, God, you are worth every risk. And the glory of God is a dangerous thing, as we're going to see later on in the text. When the glory of God shows up, things break down. Pride breaks down. Everything about us breaks down. Just ask Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 as he saw the glory of God in the temple. Isaiah writes, I am ruined because my face, my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts. 
Ask Peter, James, and John in the transfiguration as they saw the incandescent glory of Jesus Christ lighting brighter than they had ever seen before. They fell down, the Bible says, as dead men. And so thrilled they were to be in that place. They said, Jesus, let us never, ever leave this place. We're going to build three tabernacles here. We're going to stay here forever. This is what we're meant to experience all of our lives. Hey, guys, when you see the glory of God, everything changes. You cannot go back to life the same way when you experience the glory of God. You just can't. It is the incommensurable good. There is nothing better than the glory of God. There's nothing more sublime. There's nothing more transformative than to experience the weight of God's presence in your life. That intimate picture that Moses is painting before us this morning. And so again, I try to define glory again here. And this is what I say in the book. Glory is not the short-lived bliss celebrated on the pages of magazines or in the empty rants of vulgar lyrics of popular songs. It is not the promise of power, fame, or fortune as in the American dream. It is not the feeling that you can fly after a night of partying with the help of drugs and alcohol. Glory does not leave you dazed, numb, or hungover. It leaves you alive. That's what glory does. Glory leaves you fully alive, which is why St. Irenaeus says that the glory of God is man fully alive. When you are fully alive with the light and the glory and the wisdom and the power of God, that is when God is most glorified in you, when you are living that aliveness that only God can interject into your life. There is no substitute for the glory of God. There is no knockoffs for God's glory. Some years ago, I was traveling in the Philippines, and I went downtown Manila, and there was this guy selling really expensive watches. One of the things that he was selling that day was Rolexes. And so I was intrigued by the thing, because you could buy a Rolex watch for 200 bucks, which was pretty obvious from the beginning that you, get, you can't get a Rolex watch for $200, right? Rolex watches are expensive. It was fake. And so many of us today are experiencing the knockoff of God's glory. We're experiencing a little bit of God's glory that's on the cheap. But what Moses is saying here is, God, I want the full range of your power. I want the full range of your manifestation. I want the full range of your intimacy. God, I want everything that is contained in your being. God, I want you more than anything else in my life. I want your glory. It is what Paul prayed for the Ephesian believers in Ephesians chapter 6. As he bowed his head and his knees, he said, I, I pray that you may be filled up with all of the fullness of God, the height and the depth of God's love is what Paul prayed for the Ephesian believers. And that's what Moses is saying here today, that we need to experience all of the abundance and all of the power and all of the range of beauty that God is in himself. In verse 19 to verse 23, God shows grace to Moses by hiding him in the cleft of the rock because God says to Moses, Moses, if you see my full glory, you will die. 
because no one can see God and live. But there's a place in the rock where I will hide you and I will pass over and I will show you my goodness. I will show you the weight of my presence. I will show you the glory that will keep you alive. And God continues to offer us this covering in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so what Moses could not see in the full range of its power that day, in Exodus chapter 33, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, that God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has caused his light to shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So that which Moses could not see, God reveals in the person of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that we saw him and beheld him. I want to read to you just quickly from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is the prelude to this chapter. And it says, He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by him and through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And then watch verse 14. He says there, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And watch this. And we beheld his glory. And in 1 John chapter 1, he says, That which we have seen, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen, which we have touched with our own hands. Jesus, this glory of God in the Old Testament was now right before them, and they would touch him and see him, and they beheld the glory that Moses could not touch. And that is what every one of us have here this morning who have had an experience with God, who are converted by the word of God, who have Christ dwelling in your heart through the Holy Spirit. You have a download of the glory of God in your life. The question, though, is, are you accessing that glory? And so this kavod, this glory, this weight of the character and power and presence of God, Scripture tells us, is wrapped up in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, why did Paul say this? Because Paul understood Every single one of us are seeking glory. We may not know what we're seeking after. We may call it by other names. But what we're all looking for in our lives is glory. And so Paul says, God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has caused this light to shine in our hearts, to give light to the Hebrew, knowledge to the Greek, glory to the Roman in the face of Jesus. So that all of the questions that we're asking are answered in the person of Jesus. And so, as a year ends and as another year begins, we can't know what's ahead for us. But if God goes with us, which he promises to do, just like he went with Moses, if God goes with us, we will have a purpose to live for. We will have a joy that shatters all sorrow. We will have grace that covers all guilt. And we will have a future in which God himself is leading us 
with his own presence and his own power and his weight and his goodness. And we will know by beholding the face of Jesus that truly there is nothing better, there is nothing gooder (laughs) than pursuing Jesus, than loving Jesus, because there lies the weight and the glory that we all are seeking after. In the Hebrew culture, when you come to somebody's house, they would offer you one of three cups. The first cup would be an empty cup that they could give you and say, here. And that empty cup meant get some in the drink, but don't get too comfortable. The second cup would be half full. And the second cup meant stay a little while. But if you came to someone's house and they gave you a full cup, it meant stay as long as you want. And here's what God is saying to all of us this morning. God has offered us the full cup of Jesus Christ, given for us on the cross. And he says, if you live in Christ, you will have the full range of the glory and the power and the majesty that is in Christ, that is in God, and you will live at my presence, in my very presence, at my table. You are invited into my house, and you're invited to stay here for as long as you want. And guess what's going to happen to you? The longer we are in the presence of God, the more glory we will experience. For watch this, glory is the presence of God reflected. Glory is the presence of God reflected. When you spend time in the presence of God, you are going to reflect the glory of God. It is just like the sun. The moon is borrowing its light from the sun. We are borrowing our light from the glory of God. And when we walk in life with the glory of God, our lives will be full of meaning and purpose and joy and fullness. And that's what we need as we enter this new year. For all of the uncertainties of the world that surround us, when we walk in the glory of God, we can be confident that the year ahead will be glorious. The year ahead will be a year of the manifest presence and power of God in our lives. And that is what all of us are seeking after, even if we don't name it in this way. So, Father, we pray that today, here in this house of worship, that your people would seek your face, that as we enter into a new year, 2024, God, that the past would be behind us, that all of the sins of the past, the failures of our lives, would surrender and succumb to the glory of God that makes our lives new again. So, Father, we pray you come in power now. Dwell with us as our Emmanuel. Give us the very face that we seek, the face of God, that our lives might never more be the same. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people say, Amen.